from the rolling hills of England, to the sand-swept pyramids of Egypt, to the rivers of Italy, to a muck of a Florida prison. The Joestar bloodline has spanned time and space in manga and anime for over 30 years. Now it is up to Rose and Thorn. How many podcasts have I done? How many breads have you eaten in your life? To take his compatriots, Smarty! Hot Cocoa Rock! Guys, I've got some great new breathing exercises. You won't believe the results. Nelly Bell! Is this what acid is like? Because I feel like this is what acid is like. And LAF. I personally prefer to have on Barrett, though, to have on Energy. Through this series of bizarre adventures on The Rotho Jojo Show Show. Okay, episode two. How are we doing? I'm doing swell. Uh, so I figured we'd take take the time before we get into the episodes to just kind of talk about our uh, what's happened to us since the be- since the previous episode, uh, and just what's happened like any big new stuff. For example, uh, living in LA, it's kind of inevitable that uh, Lee and I have this affect us. Uh, today, as we're recording this, the Screen Actors Guild joined the striking force. Yeah, so now the Writers Guild and Actors Guild are on strike. Yep, first yeah. time in 60 years. Uh, and two fun facts about that. Uh, one, do you know who was heading the union side uh, in 63, 63 years ago? Nope, like, I do. Ronald Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> he was the president of the Screen Actors Guild at the time. Wow. <laughs> I'm... I'm genuinely... Labor champion, Ronald Reagan. I, yeah, that's what's, that's what's fucking with my brain. Yeah, this is before he went crazy. Uh, like, a little bit after that was when I think the uh, Congress hearing started and, uh, like, the, uh, the House Un-American Activities Committee. Like, ah, gotcha. So I, that's when he turned. Gotcha, um, gotcha, gotcha. That was the 50s, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, uh, late 50s, early 60s. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah, McCarthy didn't get involved until the 60s, but, you know, it, this is not a history podcast. <laughs> at least not, not not American history at the moment. Not American history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, that's... I'm trying to think of what's happened in the past two weeks. Uh, we started the other podcast, uh, Tracing the Grand Line. It's going well. Hell, yeah. Things have been slow on my end, I'll admit. Um, I just finished... I just beat Final Fantasy 16 today. Not finished. How is it? Uh, honestly, I think it's one of the best ones in the series. I've heard that. I've heard yeah, two things. It's one of the best. It's really bad with women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those are, those, are, those are both fair evaluations I was thinking of. Yeah, no, the gameplay is fantastic. The story is incredible. The graphics are obviously drop-dead gorgeous. I've also heard uh, uh, Clive t- Clive's tits are humongous. <laughs> I've not, I, I'll have to go back and... Like when I'm finishing the platinum trophy, uh, yeah. pay attention to that. Yes, about the women though, uh, it's very much uh, the same problem as early JoJo. Is that they're kind of just there. Ah, I see. Uh, Speaking I mean, of massive yeah. tits on men, <laughs> weird that you could say that, but we have to go through the whole like we have, we have to go through all of these hoops and say smoking apparatus. Right? Oh, speaking of apparatuses. Happy one-year anniversary to Shinzo Abe getting merged with the contraption. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. It's that... been a year already? Yeah. Yeah, it has. Wow. The doohickey. Happy doohickey day. 
and, and, this, and this is how we celebrate it. I, I remember, I think I've told this story before. Uh, I was streaming the first Klonoa because that collection had just come out. And we were talking about the impact of Yu-Gi-Oh! Mangaka Kazuki Takahashi because he had just died uh, a bit ago. And then we found out live on stream. Hmm. And it was extremely fitting considering uh, Kazuki Takahashi famously ha fucking hated Shinzo Abe and uh, drew a lot of political cartoons to get people to vote away from him, which, good, Shinzo Abe was a monster. It's funny how it all comes full circle in the end. Right? Yeah, one one year later, Kazuki Takahashi is is uh, immortalized for dying a hero, and Shinzo Abe couldn't even get a fucking uh, flower bed memorial. Damn. Ain't it great? Uh, anything else you want to talk about before we jump in? Um, not a whole lot going on on my end. Uh, for like for 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 pre for brief discuss reasons of the writer strike and actor strike and everything. Yeah. Um. I graduated from college a couple months ago with a degree in screenwriting, and I graduated four days after the writer's strike began. I, I, that sucks. But to your credit, you you hopped right into the striking. The, the, I did. I, I was, because I had to move out of L.A., but, like, in, like, one of my last days in town, I did go to one of the, I went to one of the strikes at Sony. That oh, was yeah. a very, like, very, very, very good experience. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I've been... Tr Trying to deal with various work shit, I haven't had time to go to the striking, but I want to at some point. I know oh, yeah. uh, when when people were coming here for the wedding, and we were uh, we were driving from the airport to uh, Cantor's, and we had uh, we passed by I think it was CBS, and we actually like we passed by the WGA. And I was like, I wonder if we'll see a strike two blocks later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ariel, anything on your end? Well. Funny you mention that, because literally today, I uh, just I was coming home from work. I literally just finished doing a couple things and finished an appointment. I went to the store, got cheesecake. I was they were doing a Christmas in July special where it was little Debbie Christmas tree cheesecake. Was so happy, cloud nine. I was skipping up the up the hill to my house. And I slipped and fell and tumbled all the way down the hill. And I am nursing a very sore leg and two very sore shoulders right now. And the, the reason that I'm okay with making jokes about it is Ariel is obviously, you know, okay enough to record. Yeah. So, so with, that, with that in mind, would you say it all keeps tumbling down, tumbling down, tumbling down? Yeah. What that one show? Yeah. <laughs> Food Wars. But... I'm, I am going to go to the ER probably in the morning, depending oh. on how I feel, okay, just well, to be I, extra sure. I hope it's nothing serious. I, honestly, I feel fine for the most part, so I should be fine. This is just a precautionary of if things do go a little too owie in the morning. Fair. Uh, you know what you need? You need some hormone. <laughs> Apparently I do. And that's because a... I am too much of a freaking klutz to not have it. And that's like as good a segue as we're going to get into episode 4, Overdrive. We open on Speedwagon recapping the previous fight and telling Jojo to live. My god, this man is down so bad. Yeah. Oh yeah, Speedwagon has his arm shattered. I kind of forgot. Uh, and oh hey, Aaron is back. Uh, frankly, shocked that the, that the three didn't fuck all night. After time Jojo healed, that is. It's time to see if she actually is a character this time around. Yeah, I was like, I was really hoping. I swear, part two is better with this. 
Yeah, because what? She barely had a little bit of presence to show, and then all of a sudden, bye-bye. Yeah. She, she's at least doing shit now. Specifically, she's healing yeah. healing Jonathan. Yeah, she put a she put some cold rags on him. I mean, like she did uh, run her fingers raw, which yeah. is that that shit that that's pretty good for her doing that. As yeah, I think the implication was she was like healing him the entire time, the, the entire weeks he was in that coma. Jesus. Yeah, good good on her. Like, I, yeah, because because they had they had that bit in that in this episode where like it's like. Oh, no one, like, no, someone, like, uh, I, I didn't even get to give her a proper farewell. Uh, I wouldn't want to put her in danger. And then, like, the, like, the stagecoach starts, like, shaking. And I was thinking, oh, is she gonna, like, oh, like, she came along with? I was really hoping he was gonna be that. It's like, nope, Jack. Yeah, we'll get there, but yeah, I, I will say, uh, Erna and Jojo reuniting is actually just really sweet. Like, their relationship, for all this, for all the problems with Erna, her relationship with Jonathan is just really adorable. Yeah. Like, it's nice. I like, that, I like that she has a sick-ass mullet, too. Oh, yeah. Like, I, mean, I love how every... <laughs> we're get, yeah, we're getting to the serious stuff now. Yeah. yeah, I love how everyone in this show has a mullet. It's fantastic. Yeah. You know, as a southerner, I'm surprised I did not notice the, all the mullets. I guess it's just kind of erases on me. It's, it's blending into your everyday? Pretty <laughs> much. Your mullet blind is all right. Uh, and Speedwagon with the Homer Simpson. And that's my cue to exit. <laughs> <laughs> or in the dub, she makes a better Florence Nightingale than I do anyhow. <laughs> and in the sub, he's like, uh, some people are just fated to meet, e meet each other. I honestly felt so bad for him, because I so I could see that he wanted to help, but he knew he just, he could compete against her for some reason, even though he was literally helping out in the middle of everything. Again, they, they just weren't ready for the greatest throuple of the 1800s. Yeah. Just, I like how uh, more ominous uh, Speedwagon's statement is in the sub, where people are just made to see each other, because then it, it, it immediately snap cuts to the ominous music and Dio's back. Yeah. I, 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 I know before I, that is, uh, Jesus is turning into a Fabio novel. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Ripper Country, yes, really, here's Jack the fucking Ripper. Like, I know he was mentioned, but... I. I, I don't think you expect it going in that there's going to be actual Jack the Ripper here. No, I thought it was going to be that Dio was Jack the Ripper. No, no, it's even cooler. But first, uh, it, it's voice time. He's played by Paul St. Peter, who was Zor Prime in Robotech, Kenji Murasame in Giant Robo, Matsui in Patlet, Patlabor, uh, Leomon and Warmmon in Digimon, Punch in Cowboy Bebop, Loose Ruth in Trigun, Haruhiko Yagi in Hajime no Ippo, Ishimatsu in Samurai Champloo, with the Nine-Tailed Fox in Naruto, Captain Blue in Beautiful Joe, Zemnis in Kingdom Hearts, Captain Battleship. Oh, that's where I know that name from. Yep. Okay. Captain Battleship in Bobo, Jorgen and Timilf in Gurren Lagon, Doctor Julius Reichwein in Monster, Higa and Dorara, Razor and Pike in Hunter Hunter, Gregor in Fire Emblem, and Heavy Tank Loincloth in One Punch Man. In Japanese, Jack the Ripper is Naomi Kusumi, who was Scooby Fucking Doo, like <laughs> since the original show. He's also Rose like rocking red. Toru from Jackie Chan Adventures. Of pluck. Clockwork and Sly Cooper, Gleam and Vox and Ratchet Deadlocked, Dudley and Street Fighter, Boog in the Open Susan sequels. Yes, that movie had fucking sequels. Roadhog and Overwatch, 
Sosajima in AI the Somnium Files, Futoshi Shimano in Yakuza, and X-Death in Dissidia. I do love X-Death. There's a lot of characters that I really like. It makes a lot of sense that X-Death and Clockwork have the same voice. Yeah. That makes uh, a lot of sense. It doesn't make sense. But at the though, same time... We do have the same voice, though. That yeah. doesn't make sense at all. Oh, no, not at all. It's hilarious. Uh, and here's Dio recruiting him to his vampire army, and that's why they never caught him. <laughs> Again, vampire powers are super nebulous and expansive, so this shit makes sense to me. It, it was just that sound again. It made it sound like Cell, right? Whenever he was sucking out the people um, in the first part of the arc yep. in yeah. Dragon Ball. Probably the same sound. It probably was because it sounded exactly like whenever he was sucking out that rich man. Which one? Oh, sorry, I have I haven't seen Dragon Ball, so like, what the hell are you talking about? Cell eats people through his tail. Yeah. Okay. It's it like a hyperbolic needle. Yeah, he like. He, he human Capri Suns them, much like Dio. And, yeah. Uh, Jonathan goes back to the, the ruins of the mansion and is just like, well, at the very least, Dio and the mask are destroyed. Oh, Jonathan, you're not that lucky. Well, no. Uh, and Jonathan go for a walk while being followed by a strange man in a funky top hat. This is Will A. Zappelli. I'm assuming you get the reference. 100%. I, I feel bad, I don't. Led what Zeppelin. Yeah. Oh, well, that now it's so, so obvious. Okay. The Zappelli family is very important in JoJo. Uh, he's played by Joe Ackman, who was Softin in Bobo, Hypnomaniac in Big Bad Beetleborgs, LaGrace in Ravemaster, Shinetsu Kisaragi in Bleach, Gabal in Gurren Lagann, yes, both Speedwagon and Zappelli played Gabal, Professor Harry McDougal in Red Dead Redemption, Jiminy Cricket in Kingdom Hearts, Cyborg yeah. 006, Zeno Zoldic in Hunter Hunter, Solon in Fire Emblem, and the narrator in Great Pretender. In Japanese... I need to watch Great Pretender. You recommended that. It's game. very good. It's a great heist show. Especially if you, if you like movies like Catch Me If You Can, Great Pretender is a must. Uh, in Japanese, he's Yoko Shioya, who is Jinpei in Gachamon, Cosmo Yuki in uh, Space Runaway Ideon, a bunch of Transformers including Bumblebee in the G1 cartoon, Raphael in the original Ninja Turtles, Donatello in the T Ninja Turtles movie, weirdly enough, huh. Ryota Miyagi in Slam Dunk, uh, Takao Shibuya in Perfect Blue, Miles in Cowboy Bebop, Polly Shore's character in an extremely goofy movie, Dookie in Johnny Test, and Siren Sorrento in Saint Seiya. Oh my god. An extremely goofy movie. That is a deep cut. And an extremely deep cut, even. Yeah? <laughs> Not as deep a cut as Dookie from Johnny Test, though. That's fair enough. And I usually, uh... And you know what? Fuck it. If I can do this bit for Randomé, I can do this for the Randomé spinoff. So y'all... What bar is Will Azapelli? Listen to this bit. This is a bit I uh, basically borrowed from OSW Review, where uh, the character here, what color scheme matches like a food or just another character, or, like a recognizable thing. Basically, pattern recognition. Ariel, you want to go first? Yeah, I actually had put a couple things on, but the uh, uh, big one I want to say is uh, Tarone. Which is, and the one that I go for is the Bellino brand. Bellino traditional torone, which is soft nougat with almonds. It's like a tea, it's like a tea biscuit. Exactly. I can kind of see it. I mean, if you look at the packaging, it has the diamond pattern on it. Yeah, the only so, thing it's missing is the black and white. I mean, it's close. It is close, yeah. And the other one is, uh, 
Golia, which I have no idea what these are. They appear to be... It, it, it is a licorice gummy. Ugh. I hate licorice. Yeah. Speaking of Lee... Uh, yeah, the first thing I thought of was he looks like a black licorice uh, candy cane. Fair enough. Koki, you got any for this? I just thought he looked funny. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, as usual, I, I outsourced the qu this question. Uh, let's see. Uh, El Desperado says the po he looks like the poster for the movie Living in Oblivion, starring Steve Buscemi. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> I, I knew you would get that instantly. The moment you said that, I was like, oh, fuck. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Emmett says, uh, Cypher's Vala Milk, a Big Hunk Bar, Hershey's Cookies and Cream, and Wilkinson's Peanut Butter Bars. And I'm going to go local. I you said Wilkins Coffee. I was, gonna, I was close. And I'm going to go local. I say he is a classic black and white cookie from Cantor's. Oh, black and white cookies are so good. Right. Uh, but yes, this mysterious man knows about the mask, and he healed Jonathan's arm via a kidney punch. The image of Jonathan holding that rock is always funny to me. I don't know why. Rock. It... He looks like he's trying to do a barbarian version of uh, hey, uh, Hamlet's to be or not to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that, uh, that, that soliloquy, but done by your hunter from the future. <laughs> to crush or not to crush? There you go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this dude really likes pepper. Uh, Zapelli is uh, the the first instance of a really fucking quirky JoJo character. There's a lot of these. He's he's the first quirky one. The first really quirky one. Oh. Where like fair. everything he does is fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, he's the reason why I thought everything was an acid trip as soon as we met him because it's like what the hell. He he acts like he's from Alice in Wonderland, you know. I was about to say. He yeah. Was that Hatter. He fought out the Mad Hatter. Honestly, no, no. The way that I've thought about him is that he is uh, uh, the treasure cat with a Nazgul cryptic telepath uh, teleportation power. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, the, my next note is the way Zapelli moves is so weird. Uh, so this is our introduction to Hamon, our, our, the new fighting system. What do y'all think of Hamon? It's fun. Why um, not it breathe? I... I don't know. I know, it's just like, it's... Why that method? <laughs> it, it reminds me a lot of the Force from Star Wars. Yeah! Like energy that yeah. power to do stuff. Yeah, it's a very good way of putting it. It's... It's... Fittingly, it's like poetry, it rhymes. It's meant to, like, <laughs> serve as a counteract to Dio's vampire powers, which are all about death. Hamon is all about life. I, I just, I really like see, like, I felt like I could track the train of thought of the person who, like, thought of this. A Rocky. Like, I feel, I feel like the conversation of whoever, it, like, invented the Hamon system was like, oh, oh, and then, and then, uh, like, like, like a bunch of that where it's like, oh, breathing equals oxygen, oxygen equals blood, blood equals vampire, but vampire is night, which means this equals day. You've just day unlocked how Rocky writes JoJo. <laughs> There's a lot of this. Oh, damn, I'm a genius. And, like, types, like, 50 pages in two hours. There's a lot of, like, a lot of fights are resolved by people figuring out a, a random fact Araki knows. Funnily it's great. Enough, funnily enough, uh, Sendo is actual, an actual martial art. Oh, yeah. 
Yes, yeah, makes uh, sense to me. Sendo Ryu. It's, it's a combination of Shotokan, Gyoji Ryu, Wado Ryu, and Shito Ryu. Like the four. Boy, does that first one need to be renamed? <laughs> I'm assuming you said meant Shotokan. Shotokan. Okay, that's that's better than what I thought you said. No, no, I, I didn't say Shotokan. Okay. Whoo! Anyway, uh, it's basically magic breathing that be used for a variety of purposes. Uh, anyone else thought he was gonna kill the frog? Yes, I did. I fully thought I was gonna kill that frog. It's a, it's a great bait and switch. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, like breaking the rock under the frog and the frog just swims away. So good. It's like the ultimate board breaking. I was honestly thinking that he was gonna do like the electricity through the frog trick. That too. Uh, so the way Hamon works is bas it's basically channeling life energy through one's breathing to create a burst of it to be used in various ways. Uh, a lot of it just boils down to, it, it's just cool. I mean, the, the light connection makes sense because uh, if anyone here has played uh, Persona, uh, the Hama abilities are all light abilities. Yeah. Uh. So, uh, I guess I'm guessing Hama is something to do with light in Japanese. Possibly. I know Hikari is light in Japanese. Oh, Hama is Ripple. Uh, ah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, especially with all the water things yeah, it, and everything. And in swordsmithing, Hamon is an edge pattern. Is a, The edge pattern is a visible effect created on the blade by the hardening process. Oh, yeah, because they have that's like a big thing for chef knives. Yeah, there that's what creates like, the additional sharpness on the end. Yep. So it's a peli tilt. What's that? Hamon con queso. <laughs> uh, so Zapelli tells Jojo that both Dio and the mask are still intact, and it turns out he was trying to break the mask for decades. So that's fun. I love how Jojo is so pure and noble that the residual hamon from his arm flows into the tree, creating new life. That that felt like I don't watch a lot of anime. Like I've said yeah. before, this is like one of the first anime I've seen in a while. That felt like a very like my God, he's the chosen one. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. that kind of moment. Yeah, that was true main protagonist energy right there. But unlike with a lot of chosen one metaphors, it, it's just the fact that he is, his character is that such. He's like he's just a noble guy. And I feel like that's that's what really makes Jonathan work as opposed to other like protagonists like this. He's just a good dude. Yeah, there's not necessarily anything particularly special about him. Is that he works hard and he has a strong moral ethic. Yeah. And that, that's thats what I really like in a protagonist sometimes. Uh, meanwhile, at Dio's Castlevania mansion, Dio and Jack are feasting. Unfortunately, blondes are on the menu. It's amazing what a castle will do, because he's only been a vampire for a little, like a couple weeks, and he's already dreaming of world conquest. Just once! Just once can you get us a redhead, Jack? Well, I'm sorry, but our options are limited, limited, England. It, it's Ireland, like, is, Ireland is right next door! It's like that uh, game changer bit. Uh, two zombies debating on what to do for dinner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, it could also be sort of like um, uh, Sweeney Todd, the try the priest. True. I I can see Sweeney Todd being a big influence on this. Sweeney uh, Todd rocks. I wonder if you watch it soon. There you go. Uh, time for a trading montage. That was fast. <laughs> we learned that. Uh, Zapelli is hunting the mask because when his dad's crew found it in an Aztec ruin, he put his dad put the mask on and slaughtered everyone on the ship, leaving him the only survivor. That's right. This mask is from an ancient Aztec ruin. 
it explains the uh, the ending credits cards. Yep, before. this will be important later. And I thought of something interesting when it came to the ship, especially since it was all abandoned and everything, like yes. it was in the middle of the night. I thought, could the boat actually be Mary Celeste? Because that was like a big myth. It was around the area, and it, it looked like it was heading towards America. And it was an abandoned ship right there. That's a whole big legend. Yeah, for those who don't know, the Mary Celeste is this unsolved mystery of a ship, like a cargo ship, that had nobody on it when it arrived in port. And uh -huh. they never found any bodies or anything. So it would be fitting if, uh, by sunlight, all the vampires made it, dis they just all disappeared off the ship. Yeah. And one actual survivor had jumped boat. Yeah, it would make total sense, actually. I do wonder I... if that was intentional. Maybe. There we go. We just I solved was, I was... Year old mystery. There you go. <laughs> and that's why they never caught Jack the Ripper. It's <laughs> just gonna keep happening. Like, yeah, this is this is my running gag like... for the episode. Now, like, like I, I'm expecting that, like, my episode eight is gonna be like, and that's who DB Cooper was. Like, yeah. like, well, we know that was Loki. Right. And I forgot that this Jimmy... was part of the MCU. Right. <laughs> and that's where Jimmy Hoffa's buried. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I realized I forgot to do my JoJo fun fact of the day. So I'll do that now. This was a timely one considering the trailer that just dropped, hence why I'm not saving it for part four. So, as Jay mentioned last time, there was a Takashi Miike movie based on the first couple arcs of part four. Well, one of the leads in that is now Zoro in the One Piece live action Netflix thing. Damn. And honestly, that, that, that One Piece thing looks pretty good. I'll take your word for it. I don't really know anything about it. <laughs> Fair. Ha it, as, as someone like starting One Piece again lately, it looks really good. Isn't Hell the yeah. Creator of the anime involved? Etro is heavily involved, yes. Yeah, so that's usually a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. Uh when I was when I saw like the um Oh man, I was gonna say something and I lost it. Alright. I'll come back to you. Uh the key to Hamon is a good blood flow. Remember this. Also, Hamon emits the same waves of sunlight, just roll with it. Yeah, we're including Superman mythology now. Yeah, yeah, kinda. Oh, now I remember what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, so, like, the whole, like, oh, we found a mask from an Aztec uh, burial site, and because it was taken, zombies are now a thing. Yeah. That's that's literally the zombie uh, Red Dead Redemption DLC plot. Oh, holy yeah. shit! Yeah, really? that makes sense. I would not be surprised if that was a direct reference. Because I oh, know there are several games that reference uh, uh, Phantom Blood specifically. I think one of the Castlevanias has the stone mask as an equip item. Yeah. Uh, and now we get the zoom punch. A lot more deadly than the Skype punch, but not as effective as the Discord DDT. <laughs> I wrote that one late at night, and you can tell. Uh, holy shit, we need to talk about JoJo's backwards baseball cap outfit. So, isn't that, is that supposed to be a Deerstalker cap? Possibly. I didn't think, think about that. Okay, because that was my first thought, and fun, fun fact for anyone, you know that Sherlock Holmes actually never wore the Deerstalker cap? Yeah, I, I, I did actually know that. Yeah, uh, okay. He was, like, not a real guy, right? Just no, he was, he was just a uh, character. Yeah, the the, oh, okay. the Doyle Estate is very protective of it, which is extremely funny, hence it's, why... Good. It's, it's that uh, Arthur Conan Doyle never had him wear the cap in the novels, oh. but the original, the original illustrator of the stories who... Uh, 
stories for their uh, magazine publications, gave him one because he wore one himself, and then Basil Rathbone, the, the famous actor, yeah. uh, popularized it from there. Okay. Uh, Fun fact also on that, which is actually interesting to note, um, the original writer of the Mary Celeste stuff was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. There you go! So it could be a tie-in with that. Yeah. It all comes full circle. As we're, as we're about to learn, uh, Araki's a very literary guy because Wind Knight's Lot, the place they're going to, is named after Salem's Lot. Huh. Okay. But before they can get there, their horses are accosted. And by accosted, I mean Jack the fucking Ripper bursts out of their horse's body. Metal as fuck! Did anyone else think of the, the scene from Ace Ventura when Nature Calls? When he's, <laughs> he's coming out of the rhino's ass? Yeah, no, I didn't, but that's amazing. That's the no, first place what, my mind what? went to. Okay, I see where your mind went to entirely. I was thinking this was a reverse version of The Godfather. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, what were your thoughts on the fucking... Jack the fucking Ripper bursting out of a horse. It, it's a fucking entrance, I'll give it that much. Yeah, I put hell of an entrance, Jack! And that was when the acid fully tripped. Yeah, that's that's by far one of the weirdest moments in part one. That's when my, I, I, my thought was just like, practically, I'm like, how long was he in there? <laughs> Do not like, go in there! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, that <laughs> like, was the horse like, attached like, 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 to their carriage, so presumably, as soon as he killed it, he dug the fuck in. And I thought, oh, okay. I thought like, maybe on the outside. <laughs> and then I was like, um, he told Speedwagon to jump right then. It was like Speedwagon jump. It's like, no, that's Van Halen. <laughs> yeah, Van Halen references are, all, are a bit later. Like speedwagon jump, the wag the wagon stopped moving. No, this 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 was in weekly Shonen Jump. Anyway, uh, Zappelli is one of those guys who could just never open a drink normally. Like yeah. he fucking sticks his finger in the bottom of the wine bottle. Yeah, he just shotgun it. That's regular. exactly what I was thinking. Uh, apparently, he's gonna take Jack on here. Let's see what he's got. Jack stabbing his own face to prove how crazy he is is a good touch. Oh, yeah. I, that, that, yeah. That reminded me of a scene from Barry. Mm. I've heard it's good. The knives, oh, yeah. coming at, the knives coming out of him reminded me of the, the Iron Maidens from Resident Evil 4. Yeah. There's, a, there's another band reference. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite things about, like, about this whole Baxter episode specifically, but, like, starting in this scene, is the fact that, like, in episode uh, 3, I think, when Speedwagon was introduced, so, like, Oh, he's this cool guy. Too, but in yeah. these episodes, he's like freaking out the whole time. Yeah, Speedwagon quickly becomes just the guy who makes everything look dangerous. And it's great. It seems like they're setting that up, though, because I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but it seems like, like toward the episode, the end of episode five, they're starting to set that up a little bit. Yeah. I, the Hamon Cutter is awesome. It's just, it's just energy discs with wine. <laughs> yeah. Talk about a destructive hangover. I it's... mean, oh, go on ahead. I was just gonna say it's it's like it's like Kirby's uh, cutter copy ability, which interestingly also comes from his breathing. Very good. <laughs> uh, I mean, I... good. Um, wine usually dulls the senses, not strengthens though. With everything. There you go. 
Uh, think of a flea, okay? I'm thinking of the drummer for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Now what? <laughs> His basic thing about fleas is that they act on survival instinct, like the zombies here. And now for JoJo's final training test. Defeat Jack the Ripper while holding a full wine glass and not spill a single drop, otherwise Zipelli will abandon him right here and now. So, you know, no pressure. I like how that's the final test, but it's also the first one. The first one we saw! Fair enough. I was gonna say, the first one, which also technically makes it the final one. Yeah, yeah. It is technically I mean, correct. The best kind of correct. <laughs> I mean, technically, he could have just put all the wine in his mouth the so that he couldn't have spilt it. But Ariel, he needs to breathe to use Hamon. He can breathe through his nose. You can hold wine in your mouth and breathe. Fair enough. You could, see, I, he could have drank it is what I was thinking. It. You can chipmunk it. He could just drink it. Anyway. He has to prove that he has the drink, though, whenever he gets back. Fair enough. Oh. <laughs> my my no, clumsy... Done in there? Uh, give me, like, five minutes. <laughs> my clumsy ass would take one step and fail this test. I mean, same. Uh, I, I, I cannot barely move a little bit without just starting to slosh everything around based on your walking abilities, apparently. <laughs> oh! I can't- I can't move one minute without chugging down the nearest bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> Time to viking up Jojo, and then WHAT THE FUCK IS THAT AWESOME WEAPON? HOLY FUCK! It looks like a giant flying hair flip. It's- it's amazing! It's like if Genocide Jill designed a garden tool. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of- oh shoot, what was that one video game from uh, the 90s? Uh, Bubsy. Night Trap? I was thinking it was like Night Trap, but... Corpse Killer? Clock Tower? Clock Tower? I think it was Clock Tower, because it was the guy with the hedge clippers. That's Clock Tower, yeah. That just got a remaster announcement. Speaking of remaster announcements, holy shit, did you hear that they're doing a definitive edition of Plumbers Don't Wear Ties? I did. And they're doing a spiritual successor to the Zelda CDI games. Yeah, I'm very excited for that. Yep. It's, oh. it's amazing. The, the future's amazing, guys. Right? The future rules! The future rules! Oh, future devil. Anyway, I wonder if anyone has edited this scene to have the fear is the mind killer scene from Dune. The same yeah. vibe. So Jonathan melts Jack the Ripper by sending his magic breathing punch through a brick wall. I love that this show lets me say these things. <laughs> And one more time, that is why they never caught him. I'm about to say that for you. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts on this episode before we talk about how we, how we liked it? Um, I guess to just go off that bit, I, I really like the idea of like, like, like one day, like, like a forensic scientist who's like studying old, like old crimes is like, like stewing over his work. He's like, what? I don't know what happened, and then like it's, it's like it, like family members like, hey, relax. Why don't we watch JoJo Phantom Blood? Maybe he watches it, and he's like, no, no, they didn't. Looks up the document and like sees a photo of like. <laughs> Go to the London Catacombs. Check the brickwork now. Of of vampire uh, Jack the Ripper was like, motherfucker. <laughs> Check the brickwork now. It's like in the Iron Giant, the dude screaming, watch the missile now. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! I think that 
image of Jack popping out of the horse and just that weird-ass grin of his is definitely gonna stay burnt in my brain. Oh yeah, I, I can imagine why. It is fucking awesome. It, like, that shit should be a fucking Man of War album cover. Yeah, that, that's, that entire sequence is what, what's really gonna stick with me the most uh, out of this episode. The beginning stuff was really just setting up setting up some character stuff, setting up the Hamon stuff, and then we really get to see it play out uh, with Jack the Ripper. Yeah, what did we think of this yeah. episode, by the way? Because I just put, this is a fun episode. I really liked it. I think it, like, um... It, it moved the story forward enough where I was, like, really feeling, like, oh, so, like, an adventure's going on. And, um... Yeah. While, and, like, it also, like, did a really good job introducing... Introducing all this, like, new lore about how like new rules to the world and like the whole Hamon system without it feeling like homework which I feel like a lot of shows like this can do sometimes yeah it was not in fact Hamon work <laughs> ah. see I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna disagree with that a little bit just because I'm not a huge fan of exposition jump exposition dumps in general uh, that's just a, a thing is for me as a writer but, that's fair um I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't get too bad about it. Uh, has a lot of fun with it. Like it, it does. It's not taking itself a hundred percent seriously, which I think is the most important part. That yeah, like if it took itself way too seriously, it'd just be way too heavy. Having it be light like this is making it fun. Yeah. Once once the power once the system is is, is like explained, they don't really like elaborate too much on it. Like it's it's not just exposition jump after exposition jump. It. The only time you'll have like moments of just the plot stopping for to express information it's just when a rocky wants to put in like snapple facts he likes <laughs> again yeah, like, but those are always relevant to what's going on no because because I, I feel like a lot of the show is just like just like the character stopping to like talk about a thing that just happened especially during some of the fight scenes i mean yeah that, like, there's there's a specific reason for that and uh jeff they pointed this out and i can't remember what roast of his it was but pointed out in specific battle manga like jojo because there's no animation in the manga these characters have to say this stuff mm -hmm. and usually since modern anime go for authenticity now they gotta put it out this is kind of something that comes to the territory yeah i mean like i want like after like the first three episodes i was like okay so this is how the show's gonna go and i was able to enjoy it in episodes four five and six a lot more like because i was like okay makes sense it, it, it almost reads like like a like one of those like sort of like Saturday morning cartoons where like the character where like the characters are just always like narrating like everything that's happening so that, like if you have the show on then you're like in your kitchen oh like absolutely that, yeah then you know oh what's happening oh my god I Jojo is He-Man yeah oh I my gosh Jojo is He-Man that makes so much more sense now I have the Hawan <laughs> I I desperately want a Saturday morning Watchmen style Jojo intro <laughs> Uh, shall we move on to episode 5? Let's. Cool. Episode 5, The Dark Knight. Uh, we open on the party arriving in Wind Knight's lot, and Zapelli remembering, Oh yeah, I should probably fix Speedwagon's arm. It didn't go according to plan. Uh. That soft little moan he makes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Wind Knight's lot was originally built for training knights. Now it's a pr got a prison where inmates mine for coal. Even in the 1800s, uh, England... The military-industrial co uh, prison complex was bullshit. I swear, I bet one of those prisoners has a daughter named Loretta Lynn somewhere. Wouldn't be, wouldn't doubt it. Uh, 
Loretta Lynn sang the song Coal Miner's Daughter. Ah. It's this show. It, it would make sense. Yeah. It, it, it's a music reference. I was trying. I, I, got, I appreciated it. Uh, I'm just young and uncultured. That's fair. not your fault. <laughs> Suddenly, yeah. a random child thief event. So, did, does he just fly through the air caused solely by the release of tension coming the rope? Yeah, I'm assuming there was some kind of contraption that we don't see. That's pretty cool. Like, the, good, good job on you, Tom Sawyer. <laughs> uh, Zappelli won up in Christ by bunny hopping on water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's so good. It's, it's so like, good. Like, source engine just like... <laughs> <laughs> yes! I mean, I'm pretty sure the all, either the All-Star Battle or Eyes of Heaven models are in Source Filmmaker. <laughs> Bro, you gotta up your CSGO game somehow. Yeah. Uh... Holy shit, Jonathan turned into Fonz. Just smack the rock. Hey. <laughs> I wish others of Pelly or Jonathan uh, any, uh, caught caught me anytime I ran out of stamina in Tears of the Kingdom when scaling a cliff. So this precocious brat is Poco, named after a folk rock band I've never heard of. He's played that's by a man... After? Go ahead. That's what he's named after? Yeah. What did you think? Oh, I... 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 The only connection I made was uh, Ita the Italian word for poco, meaning a little amount. Hmm. It's small. Okay. I think that's also I think it's also the Spanish word. Because I know in part seven there's a character named Poco Loco, which is re referencing this character, but also uh, I think a, a song called Poco Loco. Yeah, Poco Loco is a song over in like Mexico. But we'll get there. That's a while away. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, he's played by Amanda Cien Miller, who we know best as Toko and Junko in Dangarampa, but he's also Sailor Jupiter. Or she's also Sailor Jupiter, Takaru Aizawa in Squid Girl, Yoshikumi in Blue Exorcist, Dusk Taker in Excel World, Mikage Sh uh, Shikaru in Durara, Shirakuma in Ultra Spare Girls, Young Seiko Kimura in Danganronpa 3, Fortin in Z Tales of Zestiria, Boruto in the Boruto's Dad franchise. <laughs> Toshio. I knew that would get a laugh. Toshio Miike in Your Lie in April, Menshi in Hunter x Hunter. Sully Churchy in Elincia in Fire Emblem, Jackass in Nier Automata, Joe in Kid Cosmic, and Tylus in Star Trek Resurgence. In Japanese, he's played by Yumiko Kobayashi, who is the titular character in Cran Shin-chan, one of the longest-running anime ever. Damn. Like, that shit started in 1992, and it's still going. Yumiko Kobayashi is also the title character of Excel Saga, Shobu in Duel Masters, yes, the dude with the spiky hair, Nawaki in Naruto, Robotnik's weird sidekick Bokun in Sonic X, Black Star. I was really hoping you were going to say Scratcher Grounded. No, that would be funny though. Uh, Black Star in Soul Eater, Darwin in Gumball, Elisa in Pokemon, Atreus in God of War, and Izzy in the new Digimon. Nice, nice catch. Grounda. Sorry, I did. I did good. <laughs> Can you imagine if Long John Baldry voiced a JoJo character? Uh, that would work really well, I think. Yeah, like he, he's, he's just Dario. That that would be the best casting for him, honestly. Dio, I'm giving myself a promotion. I'm taking it out of your allowance and buying booze with it. Anyway, uh, oh shit, the sun's going down. Yeah, it feels like a Tears of the Kingdom reference should go right there. I just made one though. I know it feels like it's okay. Well, the blood moon that, rises. Yeah. 
Yeah. I was gonna say, what a terrible night to have a curse. That works too. Uh, okay. Considering part one has often been compared to Castlevania. Well, then I guess another one for more musical references: uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Bad I run. feel bad. Absolutely yes. Uh, oh fucking shit! This is a graveyard. So it turns out Poco was under hypnotic trance and was told, basically told by Dio to lead Jojo and crew into this knight's graveyard for a surprise zombie attack. Dio was able to turn the absurd into a sound strategy. I'll give him that. I mean, and hey, I'm I'm as I'm as big a fan of uh, Don't Look Now as the next <laughs> as the next enthusiast of you know Italian cinema. But fair enough. I I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, speak of the Dio and he shall appear. We don't want to see your cum gutters, Dio. <laughs> Some people do. Speak for yourself, yeah. <laughs> I was waiting. I was fucking waiting. Uh, even Speedwagon is understandably afraid. Uh, those zombie night designs are awesome. Yes. The the energy of whenever like, whenever there's like a fight with um, between JoJo and Dio is it feels like it feels like two kids who are like swinging sticks at each other and constantly like like god modding in the middle of their fight where it's like actually i have the i, I have the i have the yeah. chest plate that makes me invincible it's pretty great uh, isn't it uh i have the thing that cancels out invincibility uh, see now i'm picturing well, I, well, I actually, I, yeah. the greatest sibling fight of all time as with, with jojo with jonathan dio you see jojo i'm just going to start swinging my arms like this and if you get it it's your own fault Oh yeah? Well, I'm going to start kicking like this, and if you get hit, it's your own fault! <laughs> now, Speedwagon, don't you eat this pie! Self-control. <laughs> oh. I haven't stopped legendary frog in years. Yeah. Uh, right? Uh, Zapelli with the domino kill shot. Like, he <laughs> zoom punches one zombie, and it just knocks them all down, it's great. That was an amazing shot. And then he looks at Dio and goes, Hey, baby! <laughs> or in English, it's, Hey, hey bambino! <laughs> like, I love the little Italianisms they insert with, uh, with Zapelli. And now we get another big JoJo meme. Another, another thing that I referenced in my intro quote. So, uh, Zapelli says something to the effect of, How many lives have you taken to re recover your form? And Dio says, how many slices of bread have you eaten? Badass line. We can, I, we can all agree. That that was a pretty good line. It, uh, in a shitty translation of the manga, that line was was translated as "How many breads have you eaten?" <laughs> <laughs> Which it's like that, it's like that, it's like that bit from uh, from Community where it's where it's like they're talking to the guys from Subway and it's yeah. like uh, we don't call our bread buns. It's like, well, yeah, you call it, well, what do you call it? Bread? <laughs> well, yeah, but bread is a substance. What do you call the, like, the units of it? Breads? <laughs> yeah! How many breads have you eaten, Subway Man? <laughs> so, Zapelli goes to attack Dio, but Dio busts out a new superpower. Freezing! After all, if your blood's frozen, you can't use Hamon. That's just science! Yeah, he pulled a full-on Uno Reverse on that one. And then Dio says something. You ever see, hear a line of dialogue that you're just like, oh, this is prime setup? For me, that was, know that I have control over my entire body. Yeah. I can make my scrotum fight my pancreas. I am a god! <laughs> oh. Jojo with the save was pretty good, uh, though y'all really should have gone for a sneak attack. 
Shit, that's a leg break. Nothing that Hamon can't fix. I feel like we're going to be saying that a lot. <laughs> like, in every part of JoJo, there needs to be a healer. Because that way, the crew can restrain grievous injury and not worry about it. I mean, I, I was particularly enamored by the animation of JoJo's... The skin on JoJo's hand rippling as his fault. Oh, it's so good. The animation in this, in this show so is so awful. damn good. That was so awful. It made my own skin crawl. Like, basically saying like he's touching frozen metal. Yeah. Uh. And, and um, like how I was cussing up the storm earlier, just barely moving around. Yeah. That is exactly how I think that he was thinking in his head. Internally, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot more bollocks in there. Yeah, I'm sure, because... Because my England. entire phrasings... I, I don't think anybody says my phrasings normally. My phrasings? <laughs> I, I mean... <laughs> so, out comes Tarkus and Bruford. Or as the jump teaches them to, Tarukus and Bluford. Aside from Lee, does anyone get the reference? No. Lee? And not yeah. really. Yeah, these were references that somehow I got. So, Tarkus... Is the name of an album by Emerson Lake and Palmer, another classic rock band. And uh, Bruford uh, is the name of Bill Bruford, the drummer for Yes and King Crimson. Yep. Yes, obviously being the the, uh, the band that does Roundabout. And King Crimson, we'll get to in part five. Uh, Tarkus is played by Jameson Price, who I, I best know as Lord Genome the Spiral King from Gurren Lagann. He was also Jelly Jiggler in Bobobo, Colonel Shikishima in Akira, Sitaro Sakaki in Potlabor. I, I never know how to pronounce it. Pat Labor, Pat Lower, I don't know. Murano in Perfect Blue, Duke Red in Metropolis, Sergei Sneak the Fourth from Gene Shaft, Briareos Hecatonkeries in uh, Appleseed, The Count of Monte Cristo in Gonkutsuo, Hulk Davidson in Beautiful Joe, Reed, Reeve in Advent Children, Chad in Bleach, Lou Boo in Dynasty Warriors, Paul Phoenix and Heihachi in Tekken, Noob Cybot in Mortal Kombat, uh, Volton in Redline, Zero in Zero Escape, Virian, Hawkeye, Rudolph, and Zephiel in Fire Emblem, Ryder in Fate, Leo Whitefang in Guilty Gear, uh, Sakura Sojiro in Persona 5, oh, oh, okay. Wolfric in Pokemon Masters, King Swain in Villain Saga, and many more. In Japanese, he's played by Tetsu Inada, who also played Lubu in Dynasty Warriors and Leo Whitefang in Guilty Gear, along with Daz Bones and Brogy in One Piece, Wakane in uh, Gundam, Crasher Wake in Pokemon, Nappa in Dragon Ball Z Kai, Brain and Fairy Tale, Arthur and Marvel vs. Capcom 3, Sajin and Bleach, Pyron and Kid Icarus Uprising, Gamagori and Kill a Kill, Endeavor in My Hero, Overjustice and Space Patrol Lucolo, Alexis Carib in SSSS Gridman, uh, Varus Truss in Promare, Festiva in, Blue, in Grand Blue Fantasy Versus, and Juzo Kamiya, uh, Kumiya, the Bone Carpenter in Jujutsu Kaisen. We'll talk Bruford's voice in a bit, I just wanted to give a buffer between discussions of that. What do you think of these designs, by the way? They're fun. They are. There's a good, and, there's a good dichotomy. Oh. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm going ahead. There's a good difference between the two, where Tarkus is just this gigantic hulking mass, and Bruford is more elegant and chivalrous. It's that dichotomy that people like to do: is big man and little man. Yeah. Or in this case, big man and slightly less big man. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk backstory. Basically. Queen Elizabeth I said she wouldn't kill her sister, Mary Queen of Scots, if said sister's most tr two, two most trusted knights, Tarkus and Bruford, gave their lives. Shockingly, the monarchy was a lying bitch. 
Tarkus was too wow. Yep. Tarkus was too thick to chop in one go, and it took five fucking axes, and Bruford's hair cut the executioner's feet off. Obviously, this never fucking happened, but it's a cool story. Does, uh, does anyone else know the Monty Python the sketch for Mary Queen of Scots? I've heard it. I, it's been a while. Uh, it's, it, that's just the first thing I thought of. That's the only thing I think of when they bring up Mary Queen of Scots. I think of Grimm from, Grimm from Billy and Mandy answering that on Jeopardy. Down a set of stairs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Speedwagon's like, I know what'll save the day. My rock hard abs. <laughs> Talk about right? <laughs> uh, and now for Bruford. He's played by Tony Oliver, who was the narrator, Teticon, and Balambo in Gurren Logon, Bart in Fist of the North Star, Lupon the Third, Hiromu Shinbo in Chobits, Eiji Date in Hajime no Ippo, Nagamitsu in Samurai Champloo, Misao in uh, Tenji Muyo, Minato Namizake in Naruto, Gunnar in Vinland Saga, and Shaft in Castlevania. In Japanese, he's Kenjiro Suda, who was Seto fucking Kaiba. So, did you say Shaft in Castlevania? I did. The priest. Oh. Oh. Sorry, I thought you meant like... <laughs> like like John game. Shaft in <laughs> Castlevania? That'd be amazing! Like he was in that fucking game! <laughs> yeah, right. I would play the shit out of either a Shaft mod or a Black Dynamite mod for Castlevania. Oh my god, oh my did you god. see that they're making a new Black Dynamite? <laughs> the Outlaw Johnny Black, I'm super excited. Yes. Oh. Is it a new, is it a sequel it, to it, Black Dynamite or is it I just like the same? I think it's a spiritual successor. Same it's universe, a, yeah. A Black Dynamite, but 1800s. Got it. Black Dynamite Steel Ball Run. <laughs> but yeah, Kendra Suda, who is Seno Kaiba, Yonji in One Piece, Christoph Gavin in an Ace Attorney short, Maxi in Soul Calibur, Bacchus in Fairy Tale, Nathan Seymour in Tiger and Bunny, uh, Seijiro uh, Mikoshiba in Free, Overhaul in My Hero, Mitsuru in Nambaka, Wrath and Garrick in Fire Emblem, Baron Von Zeeks in The Greatest Attorney, Sikorsky in Baki, Endo in the Kaiji spinoff, Atomic Samurai in One Punch Man, Sam Porter Bridges in Death Stranding, <laughs> Sakaido in Inundated, Kento Nanami in Jujutsu Kaisen, and Kishibe in Chainsaw Man. I'm never gonna get over the name Sam Porter Bridges. No, it's real good. Uh, anytime you're fighting someone and they go, your blood is mine, run. Uh, I wrote down the line from Dio, even history bows to my will. And also, the story of their delusion gave me goosebumps. Uh, so yeah, now Dio has two pissed off legendary zombie knights on his side. Sir Bayonetta and Sir Cloud. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank God Bruford has honor. And at one point Jonathan's like, I learned about him in school, and now he's trying to kill me. This is like if I picked a fight with James K. Polk. <laughs> Which I would! <laughs> you hear me, Polk, you punk bitch? <sighs> you get, your, your doorbell rings immediately. Oh, please. That, that, that motherfucker's been dead for hundreds of years. I can kick his ass. <laughs> uh, him wielding the sword with his hair was incredible. He whips his hair back and forth. He whips his <laughs> hair back and forth. See, uh, you thought that. I thought, uh... <laughs> I have created a knife-wielding tentacle. If anyone would like to volunteer to turn it off, be my guest. You can tell I was very tired when I did my notes for 5 and 6. Because I just wrote down, Oh shit, the water! That's the no-breathe zone! <laughs> yeah, we heard Sonic, Sonic Drowning music here. Yeah, um... 
Yeah, I, I wrote my notes for 5 and 6 right as I got back today, and it was like 90 degrees here. Oi. Yeah, not just yeah. beautiful day in sunny Southern California. Wee. It's the same temperature over here, but with humidity too. Wee. Uh, Dio just dips, and then Speedwagon. He says about the the zombies he's gonna make. They will spread throughout England like a plague. Oh come on, they just recovered from the last one. <laughs> it's kind of hilarious to see Bruford talking normally underwater. I, I mean, he's he's undead. He doesn't necessarily need to. True, but there will still be the problem of the sound traveling that way. And then Jojo does the smart thing, apparently, of swimming down. Lucky for him, Mitch Von Malibu's secret weapon is there. A convenient air pocket. <laughs> I recommend the show Baywatching by Allison Pregler. It's great stuff. Uh, I miss Danny. Danny was such a good boy. We flash back to when, when uh, uh, Jonathan was trying to get his toy gun back from Danny. And George is just like, well, if you want to get it back, you have to push it, push it towards him. Make it, make it seem like you don't want it. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go give Dio a thousand dollars. Is that how he treats his son? Right? <laughs> yeah. George Joestar sucks. Oh, we get the ending portion of Roundabout this time. Sometimes I like to change it up. Uh, any thoughts on this episode that, I'm, that I missed? No. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. This is a fun one. Episode six, Courage of Tomorrow. We open on the turquoise blue overdrive, only grazing Blueford, and the fight continues. Even if Blueford's, you know, cracked a bit. <laughs> yeah. Like, they spent like a, a minute and a half just pumping each other up for the fight they're about to have. I fucking love it! Okay, the overdrive barrage is just straight up the 100 crack fist from Fist of the North Star. I, I do the noise, but my throat is hurting. Apparently the only Not way... You. Apparently the only way to put Hamon into other things is through the arms and legs. That may be a problem. And speaking of a problem, oh right, Tarkus is there. You know, they really, he really picked the perfect name for Tarkus, considering Tarkus is about as, as massive as a fucking tank. Oh yeah. At that exact, mo at the exact right moment, Jonathan bursts through the hair ties, and conducts Hamon through the metal sword, letting him land the kill shot on Bruford. That was an awesome fight. He's for the scratch, though. Yeah. I I do love that Bruford is honorable and valorous even in defeat. And Jonathan knew that, hence why he didn't flinch when Blue, Blue, uh, Bruford struck. The the scene where like um, he's reflecting on on Bruford like after the sword thing, um, like reminded yeah. me of a scene from No More Heroes too. I'm trying to remember which one. Uh, I would elaborate, but it's it's near the end of the game, so it's a major spoiler. Fair. Uh, is it the is it the cosmonaut? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good example. Um, yeah. I was gonna say I was gonna say Alice Twilight, but oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, no more heroes games are great. Uh, they're from Suda Fifty One, so obviously they, they play great. And the music is Masafumi Takata, who did the Danganronpa games. The music background. rocks. So good. I love that uh, the shot of Bruford dying with flowers blooming around him is fucking beautiful. Like just his yeah. speech about reflecting what it is to be human is gorgeous. And as of as a for defeating him, he gives uh, Jonathan the Sword of Luck, which he writes the word P, the letter P on with his blood to turn it into the Sword of Pluck. Or it's more known as the Sword of Luck and Pluck, but yeah. That's where we get the title for Courage. Yep. Giving him luck and courage he needs to defeat his enemy. And here comes Tarkus to be a gigantic asshole. Literally gigantic. Ew. Thank you, Casey. Uh, I, here's the thing. I was running a little late 
uh, finishing yeah. these episodes because I had I had to pick something up from my local pharmacy. But like, um, <laughs> so I had to watch this last episode at like a faster speed. That's, yeah, I I I know that happens. It's fine. And so I, um, the moment where he put like the P on the sword was probably a lot funnier than it otherwise would have been. <laughs> yeah. He was just dying and he's like, he's like, wait, there's a little... There's yeah, a little. okay, yeah, that's pretty funny. Immediately collapses. <laughs> just write a letter P and then poof! And yeah, I gotta imagine, uh, <laughs> I gotta imagine fucking, uh, Tarkus crushing the armor is like, uh, like Vegeta and Dragon Ball Z Bridge crushing the Ginyu frog. It's sort of like that earlier there, it's like, it's Tarkus! With the steel tear! By and God, it's Tarkus with a steel sword! <laughs> uh. Oh my God! So yeah, Tarkus is just a heartless killing machine now, bent on nothing but destruction and slaughter, which is bad news for our heroes. Thankfully, Zappelli and Jojo have a new Hama technique: the Korok fan. And that's that, the that, visual, that visual of them breathing in the breath, like the fucking Soyjack faces they're making. Oh God! No, it can't be the Soyjack faces because they're not ugly as shit. <laughs> Uh, Poco, don't distract the giant leaf drivers. Was it? Was it Karka? No, that part was so funny. Where he's just like, and leaf. Yeah, it's great. Like I said, it's just the Korok fan from Zelda. Yeah, and I just like, uh, and thus paragliding was invented. Uh, we get a bit of Zapelli's backstory when we learn he went to India, then to Tibet, to train with a Hawan teacher named Master Ton Petty. Heartbreaker, let me tell you. Check. Ariel. Well, I figure he, he's telling the story while they're free falling. Check. Sort of <laughs> he shows up. Uh, the, good. Tom Petty joke. <laughs> check. And he shows up in the next chunk of episodes, so we'll talk about the voice then. But I know the waiting is the hardest part. And check. <laughs> uh, Tom Petty feels that uh, tells Zapelli that he's going to die chasing this mask, but that's probably years from now. It'll be, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And then back out, Tarkus is back! Like, him- How does Tarkus sneak up on someone? Very carefully. Like, it's not just that he's a big guy, because, like, Lucky Rue in One Piece, he's a big guy, but he sneaks up on a motherfucker and caps him. No, Tarkus is a big guy wearing giant loud plate armor! Just have to be very, very careful. Yeah. He probably just leapt and, like, was soaring through the air through this. He's hunting wabbits. <laughs> now look, he just rolled a nat 20 on his stealth check. There you go. Uh, oh shit, they arrived at the Knight's Training Ground slash Death Pit, standard with all British castles. Yeah. Yes, Zapelli, take Poco, have Jonathan take Poco into the smoking green door, totally safe. So Jonathan and Tarkas are about to have a dog collar match. The winner is the person who, st who still has a head. Frankly, yeah, it just looks like a BDSM dungeon. Frankly, I've seen more dangerous dog collar matches. This is a terrible method for training knights, by the way, especially when you lose like half of your forces every time. Who designed this, Thanos? The British government. Oh. Uh. <laughs> oh shit! Jonathan can't use Hamon, and he is in fact getting carotene. <laughs> can I just say? Yeah. That an excuse of we can't use the Hamon to break through the. Uh, the metal door, we can only use the brick brick. So brick- I was thinking that too! Around the door. I was thinking that exact thing too! There's brick- Although, 
I think the argument would be, if we do that, we risk the entire fucking thing coming down on them. Which, you know, fair, it's an old castle. Yeah, no, because they, they were in the Petra for some reason. <laughs> At the same time, though, fucking Tarkus threw, uh, flew through one of the towers, and he's alright. True! That was probably all the damage it could take. Fair enough. Speaking of, uh, anyone else here play Knights of the Old Republic 2, the Star Wars game? I haven't. Not okay. me. So... That scene with Tarkus where he's climbing up the wall and they're talking about how he's being held together just by pure spite. That's what that's essentially one of the main villains from that game. It's a Sith Lord who is held together purely by the fact that he is in constant. It's a good uh, narrative device. Just the lingering will by pure fucking rage. Like lingering will from Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix. There you go. Uh. Suddenly, Poco gets an idea to save the day, and we get a flashback. And by the way, Poco's sister, since she will be relevant later, is voiced by Dorothy Fawn, who was Chihiro, Sayaka, and Samugi in Danganronpa, Meryl in Trigun, Lilymon and Tai's mom in Digimon, Fujiko Mine in Lupin, Nova in Magic Knight Ray Earth, Naru Narusagawa in Love Hina, but we won't hold that against her, a ton of characters in GTO, Cyborg 003, Rosa in Ravemaster, Kenshi in Grenadier, Valentine Villafort in Gankutsuo, uh, Shu uh, Shuno in Ble Bleach, Sophie Wood in Kogias, uh, Matsuri Hiragi in Lucky Star, Mausha in Garn Lagan, Conan in Naruto, uh, Sonoko Ta Takasu in, D in Toradora, Regan's first on-screen client in Mob Psycho 100, Marilyn Bernadette Cavendish in uh, Little Witch Academia, Nerine in Violet Nevergarden, Mercedes in Fire Emblem, Kie Kamado in Demon Slayer, and Emma in Vinland Saga. In Japanese, it's Aya Endo, who is Uchino in Gintama, Maylene in Pokemon, Miyuki Taraka, or Takara in Lucky Star, Kinoe Crossroad in D Gundam 00, Matsu in Sekirei, Flesh Backbone in Corpse Princess, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Analote yeah. in Queen's Blade, which frankly I'm, I'm amazed that the Queen's Blade character doesn't have flesh in the name, Ana Heartphilia in Fairy Tale, Queen Bee in Painting and Stocking, Kamugi in Hunter x Hunter, Karin in Street Fighter, uh, Cynthia in Pokemon Generations, Claire and Elir in Fire Emblem, Silky in Ancient Magus Bride, had to mention that one for Ariel, yes, Liger Leroy in Space Battleship Tiramisu, the Senpai Red Blood Cell in Cells at Work, Young Gilgamesh in Fate, Viola in Pokemon Masters, Yelan in Genshin Impact, Shoko Ieri in Jujutsu Kaisen, Young Canute in Midland Saga, and Juno in Omega Strikers. So the flashback basically boils down to uh, Poco was getting bullied much like Arana was, and here comes P uh, Poco's sister to solve it. Oh no, wait, she slapped him. Yeah. He gives rough life lessons. Yeah, what the fuck? I'm a teacher, so I feel like I'm qualified to say kids are fucking dicks. Yeah, yeah, they are. Uh, so Poco, in an actually awesome move, sneaks into the murder pit and opens the door. And for his troubles, he gets sent flying into the wall. Hell of a move there. Yeah, he could be dead. I mean, it's JoJo. We're just we're just gonna roll with it. Get ready to say that phrase a lot. It's JoJo. We're just gonna roll with it. Uh. Oh, Ton Petty, would you relax? That's going to be years from now, right? Any other thoughts on this? Any other jokes about this episode before we talk about the thoughts on it? Uh, no. That was kind of a quick one. It really was. I mean, it, it's a continuation of the last episode, and yeah. it's going to be into the next episode, too. So. I feel like we're getting the flow of it more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that this episode showcased the whole team more. Like, Zeppeli got to do stuff. Uh, we had the, the cool exit of Bruford. Poco got to do stuff. Speedwagon was Speedwagon. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. W- what do we think of this episode? Um, pretty good. I enjoyed it. It's pretty good. Yeah. Admittedly, I preferred the previous episode more. I would say, out of part, part for part one, this is kind of probably the weakest episode. Just because there's not yeah. much to say about it. If this is the weakest episode, then it's very good to very good to show what's going to happen for yeah. the rest of part one. Yeah, which is oh, only yeah. which there's only three episodes left in part one. Oh, okay. It's it's the shortest part. Well, let's give Zen and Phil a chance to talk about what they thought of this episode of these episodes. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our portion of the Rotho Jojo Show Show. Uh, I am one of your hosts. For this segment, this currently unnamed segment, this is just Phil and Zen's thoughts. Hi, hello, I am Philip. How's it going? Uh, and as usual, I am here with my co-host, Zenith Warrior Princess. How are you going, Zen? Uh, you're fired, but I'm doing good. I, I'm, I'm doing good. I just finished recording some Genshin stuff, so I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm in the recording mood. But it's, uh, it is currently Thanksgiving on my end and uh it's been very busy black friday at work but uh i'm i'm energetic i'm good <laughs> that is good as i say moving the mic back because it is too close to me <laughs> um but with that being said uh it is you know i guess thanksgiving time around here as well except australians don't celebrate thanksgiving so you uh, heathens you godless heathens Oh, damn Aussies. <laughs> I mean, have you seen Australians? Like, we we, we just have... We're, we're rude all the time. Uh, we say the C word endlessly, uh, which made Zen very uncomfortable when I told her that for the first time. Um, uh, damn Aussies. In any case, today we're talking about some JoJo, which is also quite rude. Um, I mean, Dio rude. is pretty rude, but, like, you know, not as rude as you Aussies. Yeah, I mean... I mean, you say that, but now that you say I actually would like a JoJo that's, that takes place in Australia, that would be very, very fun. <laughs> that would be actually... Yeah, a... Dio comes up, tries to do anything, he just gets kicked in the nuts. I mean, I don't know, with a name like Diego uh, Diego uh, Brando from freaking Part 7, who knows, maybe Dio in that part is Australian. I doubt it, but who, who knows at this point? Who knows with this franchise? Um... With that being said, we won't focus on the recap. Uh, I'll just leave Rosen to do that uh, if they even decided to do it. If not, it's fine. Um, but just getting straight into that uh, into our thoughts for uh, episodes four and six, uh, four two six, not four and six. We're not st- skipping episode five. Um, what did you think of just your overall opinions on this batch of episodes? Then, honestly, I really liked it. Like, honestly. It's not as good as the first three episodes, but it's classified a little bit differently. I still put it on par with the first three episodes, but the way it works is the first three episodes are very different in their structure. It's essentially like, hey, we're going to be vampires and like surprise and it sets up a lot of stuff. Whereas this is shonen, it's basic shonen. Like you have the fight against Jack the Ripper in the training montage, he has a week of training. Then you have Blueford and Tarkus, where it starts the Shonen-esque fights. And it's good, don't get me wrong, but it's not different like the first three episodes were. So I classify them differently. I don't think they're bad. I think it's as good as the first three episodes. But the first three episodes hooked me more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can, I can 
I mean, I'll say this much. Uh, I remember last time uh, we did this, which for the record, uh, the last time we recorded uh, for episodes one to three, it was a couple of months ago, because as you will tell, uh, probably from the beginning of this video, I'll probably have like a note uh, during it. But yeah, I've been busy editing this massive colossal video on the side. And so it kind of delayed everything. So that first recording this was- This is why you're fired. This is why you're fired. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So that recording was months ago at this point. So I apologize if I don't remember exactly everything that we said in that, uh, in that first episode. But I do remember me saying that when I first watched part one, all those years back, I didn't like the midpoint of the series. I thought the first, the first part of, the, of part one was good. Midpoint was kind of meh. And then it ended strong. So going into this, I was actually really curious to see what I thought of like th this chunk of episodes, which I really don't remember liking all too much. And I will say this, I will say this, although there are still parts that I very much don't like, and I understand why I came to the conclusion that this part was kind of bad the, uh, the first time I went through part one, I will say I actually enjoyed these episodes a hell of a lot more than I did originally. There is actually like quite a bit here that I am a really big fan of, and uh, we'll kind of—I guess, I guess we'll just kind of go through like point, uh, point for point, like just what works, what doesn't. But yeah, I actually—I have to say, it's you know, a lot more good here than than there is uh, than there is bad. But I will say, episode four did kind of make me go, ah, yeah. So here's where the problems start arising. Like episode four did not do much to quell me, like uh, quell my thoughts on like this is the rough part of phantom blood uh because i guess to just start going into it my big problem with part with episode four is not that like the the stuff that's introduced here isn't interesting to some extent it's just that it feels like that unlike episodes one to three which not to say that they were the most well-paced things ever but they told a concise story of like, okay, here are these two characters. Here's Jonathan, here's Theo. Let's explore their relationship as they move through life. And let's see how it all eventually crumbles as we see the two of them go into their different paths. And we see Theo become a vampire and Jonathan, you know, ultimately best him at the end of the day. Uh, and it tells that con uh, like concise story right there. Uh, it could have done a little more, bit more pacing and like showing what happened like within those years between their childhood and their adulthood. But ultimately, I think it, you know, was pretty good in the end of the day. Episode 4, unfortunately, I think just tries to struggle. I think, I think it tries and struggles to introduce a lot of moving parts that it doesn't get to, like, it, it doesn't get to do anything with by the end of the it, day. It feels rushed. Very it feels much. rushed. And, and I think the big thing for me is, like, it it does set up at the end of episode three that Dio survived. But there's a lot of stuff that just kind of comes out of nowhere. So Jonathan gets out of the hospital, all of a sudden this guy in a hat. And for the record, I do love Zapelli, and I do love the way he, like, jumps and everything. It's very, <laughs> very JoJo. But, like, you know, you suddenly have this guy, suddenly Haman, but then Jonathan knows Haman unconsciously like he just by touching the branch he's able to use it and that was a lot and that's kind of like a big problem with i think this portion is that he's just able to do stuff you know he's able to do that and like he's able to transfer her through like steel and other stuff and he has a week of training but it's all like 
oh, you already have the good breathing down, so you don't have to worry about any of the other parts. Like, he's just naturally good, and that's a, that's a problem. Yeah, it's like, in episode four, we go from, we reintroduce Erina, then uh, we get uh, Zapelli's introduction, and we see him, you know, basically explain what Harmon is, and we see what he's all about. Then he's like, hey, by the way, Dio's back. Dio's back? Oh my god, we have to go, uh, you know, stop him. And he's like, well, I'm going to teach you Harmon, and then we're going to go and, and fight him. And so we, quick, we get a very, very quick montage of Jonathan learning Harmon. Uh, then we go and we see... Uh, the three of them, that being Jonathan Zeppeli and Speedwagon, going off to fight Dio, and then we encounter Jack the Ripper, and we get Zeppeli uh, fighting Jack the Ripper, and then episode ends. It's like, that's a lot of information right there that is flung at us. Basically, most of that is in the first half of the episode. Uh, the episode really tries to, like, pin down a backstory for, for Zeppeli as well, so we have to deal with this character both appearing out of nowhere, explaining what this new, un, like, unseen power is, then seeing his backstory, then explaining that the main villain is back, and then him joining the cast so we can go fight, fight Dio. It's like, it's a lot to take in all at once, and spoiler alert, I honestly do think that Zapelli is the biggest case of, like, of, of part one being rushed, because I, I'll say this right now, I like uh, Zapelli's look. I think he has a really nice design. Uh, I think his voice in the dub is really nice. I I, I really like the, his like aesthetic. I really like him in that regard. But as far as a character, like I think that he's not very interesting by proxy of the fact that he's not really allowed to be. Uh, I'll get into this more when we talk about episode six. But I feel like Zeppeli is just a lot of tropes and quirks stitched together. Because we're not allowed to develop anything about him from now until he basically departs in the next batch of episodes. And it's like, to an extent, I do think that part of the stuff being rushed was a little bit better in the manga. Not much, but a little bit, because you had more chapters to do it. But this is a case of Araki is throwing a lot of stuff at the wall, seeing what sticks... And it just, you know, I see where they're going with this. It's a very adventurous spirit of Dio's back. We have to get ready. We have to fight him. And I do like that, like, the series of fights, you know, on their way there. Jack the Ripper jumps out of a horse. That was awesome. You know, <laughs> and he has the blades and whatnot. But ultimately, they defeat Jack the Ripper really easily. And it's just like, there's all this buildup for nothing. So it's like, I, I like that. But there's a lot of these moving parts that I didn't like. What I liked more was actually the battles with Blueford and Tarkus, because yeah. Blueford, they give the backstory while they're fighting, and they, you know, they give a build-up, and, you know, Dio shows up and he says, well, I could defeat you now, but, like, you're not strong enough, so, <laughs> like, I'm just gonna sick these minions on you. And there's some unimportant stuff with Poco, but I really like how, you know, it's Dio showing off that he's building up his army. He still hasn't fully recovered yet, um, but he's still stronger than them. And so this is more for Dio to buy time. So these battles make sense. And Blueford, you know, ultimately is a noble warrior and you see the fights uh, and, and Blueford is not. And like, he starts this whole like, oh, I'm stronger than you. 
and he you starts his chain deathmatch uh, against. You mean Tarukus is not because Bluefoot actually was a noble warrior by the end. Oh yeah, Tarukus. Sorry, like their names are weird. Yeah, um, they are very uh, weird names. Bl Bluefoot is this noble warrior, whereas Tarukus is this big brute and has different fighting styles, and it's interesting to see. My big issue, though, especially when it comes to this, as it's base shown, is they pull stuff out of their ass for Haman to do all the damn time. Yeah. Like, Haman, blue overdrive. Haman, steel overdrive. Like, like I, just... I'll, I'll say this much, because I, I dogged on uh, on Haman at the end of the last podcast. I do remember that, because I do remember saying Haman was boring, which uh, and it kind of is. Um, I will say that... I liked it a little better on this rewatch, but I'm very happy that they end up getting rid of Hamon because I honestly feel like there's only so much you can do with Hamon before it starts to get stale. And I'm really curious to see how it's it's used in part two because I with how it's just used in part one. Part I feel two like... is just so much better in creativity and its attacks, mm -hmm. and it's, they they create rules for Hamon, and apparently one of the rules is that. It it uh it has to be like transferred through a living object or oh, something like that. Well, like, that's that. So we'll get to that. That's later. not at all how it operates here because they're channeling Hamon through like or through a sword. And, I mean, I, I guess like you know, if you're you yourself are a living object, you can tra transfer it from a sword into another living object. I, I don't know, man. It's like it's such a messy power set because it's like okay, well, it has to do with breathing. You know, it has to, like, do with breathing and air and all that stuff. But it's like, okay, so there's so much you can do with that. But they're, they're so... They're, they're too flexible with it by the end, uh, like, of these episodes. Like, so that ultimately the, the power yeah, set is very I feel very like messy. Araki... I feel like Araki kept forgetting stuff. And granted, like, Araki himself says, Oh, I forgot about Speedwagon's hat. <laughs> so that's the thing. But, like... Part one is very loose with what they can do with it. Part two s establishes rules and makes it much better. Mm. And it's just like, I feel like having, oh, blue overdrive, it goes through the sword. Uh, you know, if they had just said, oh, hair, like through the hair, maybe it would work. Mm -hmm. But like, it just, the, the rules that are established in part two are that it has to go through a physical living object because... One of the things is that they, they try to use Haman through stone, and they can't. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. Because because it's not living, you know? So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I'm just glad that we're going to be getting stands, like, come part three, because Haman is not very interesting, uh, as far as just a power set is concerned. It's it's a little too bland, like, uh, for one thing. It's, it's, it's fine for being basic shonen. Yeah. But, like... When I watch this again, like I enjoy it, but like I, when I see part two, I'm just like, this is so much better because yeah. they actually like have. It, it's not just oh I do this and then you do this. It's not a game of Yu-Gi-Oh. It's a game where like you can actually like plan stuff out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. I will say this: it is a setup for some pretty fun moments, as we'll see with the next set of episodes with the uh, the Thunder Cross split attack. <laughs> but we'll get to that when we get to it. Um. For this, like, for this uh, set of episodes, I think that they still managed to do some fun things with it. Like, I guess going into part, uh, episode 5, uh, I enjoyed episode 5 way more than episode 4 because I feel like now that we're done basically having to rush a lot of information, like, onto the viewer, 
I feel like this and episode 6 can just focus on this upcoming fight with Blueford and Tarukas, which I think ultimately is a really fun fight. My problem is less so with the fight itself and also just the, like, lead into it because I feel like on a first viewing, I, I feel like part of why I'm able to enjoy it so much is because this isn't my first time watching part 1, whereas... Like, on a first viewing, I completely understand why my mind just glazed past this this fight, because I'm still reeling over, okay, so this is Harmon, here's what it does, here's this Zeppeli guy, here's what his entire situation is, and now we've got, like, immediately on our way to fight Dio. We have no time to really settle with Zeppeli and, uh, and, and Speedwagon as our party before we immediately have to go and fight Dio and, like, and go through this entire ordeal. Um... So, but episode 5, you know, all in spite of that, ends up being fun for one reason or another. Uh, I like the beginning of the episode where Jonathan, like, the moment, like, like their stuff is, is is taken, he, instead of being angry, his just immediate thought is, huh, he must know, know his way around. You know, that kid's alright, let's, uh, let's bring him along with us. I think that's a real fun, uh, like, inter interaction, like, to kickstart the, the episode to basically just show how far Jonathan has come and how... Uh, like kind-hearted he is which i'll get to in a bit with episode six but the actual fight with blueford and tarukas i think is really well handled um like I, I like the fact that you actually do see uh how like you like you see their backstory essentially and despite the fact that they do kind of come out of nowhere which you can explain uh, a lot of part one with like you, you can just say oh this aspect comes out of nowhere this character comes out of nowhere and Blue, uh, blueford and tarukas do quite literally come out of nowhere you know they come out of the goddamn ground all in spite of that i think that they have a nice duality that in you know in part kind of it, it, it reflects jonathan and dio to an extent because by the end of the fight or at least what by the end of what we've seen so far we see blueford kind of regain his humanity uh like and and realize you know how wrong he's been this entire time because you know he realizes uh, i'm not wording this right <laughs> basically he and Tarukas died with a lot of pain in their heart because of mary's death essentially and it's like oh my god mary like, mary we we're dying in vain because mary just got executed anyway and they went to the grave with all of that pain stored up and being given this second chance of life they're you know channeling that rage like non-stop like their heart is all full of hatred but Blueford, because of Jonathan, you know, being such, like the kind heart that he is, was able to regain his humanity and die with dignity, as opposed to Tarukas, who is choosing to live as long as he can with this hatred in his heart, which kind of parallels how Jonathan has, you know, despite given every, every reason to turn against the world with like how much shit like was thrown his way in the first episode, he, you know, soldiered through and decided to keep true to being this gentleman-like character, as opposed to Tarukas, who, uh, you know, is more akin to Dio, uh, in the sense of, you know, just taking that hatred and letting it cloud him throughout his entire life and not willing to see any of the good in humanity and just completely being evil. I think that's a nice little mirror there, you know, to mm -hmm. to bring Bluefin and Tarukas, like, a little closer to our protagonist. I do like them as characters. I do like them as opponents, and I feel like they're much better than Jack was, and, like, they have their own fighting styles and way of doing things. My big problem is kind of the pacing of how 
you know, episode six ends with them setting up the chain death match, and they don't finish him off in that episode. It's yeah. the setup mm-hmm. of the chain death match, and it's like it would be fine. It's just now we have it bleeding over into the next set of episodes, and uh, you know, they they kind of rush through some of the other fights to get to like Dio, and we'll get to that when we get to the next thing. Mm-hmm. But like, I just feel like. It, it would have been so much nicer if they either gave Jack the Ripper an extra episode in the anime to allow his time to breathe mm-hmm. or didn't extend, you know, so much. Because, like, here we have all the stuff thrown at you and then we have, oh, all right, this great two-part fight with with Blueford and then Tarkus and then all of a sudden this part just kind of ends with, like, a setup. It just, it feels like there's... A pacing issue here. Yeah, I love the juxtaposition. I love the fights. Don't really like Poco, but he gets stuff to do in a bit. Yeah, Poco, uh, Poco it stuff. Just, it's Poco stuff is a little bit from the same issue as Zeppeli, where it's like uh, we have to kind of rush like through his like what his deal is because you know we, we just don't have time to focus on the side characters. So it's like okay, here's this this character's deal. Now he does his thing, and Poco is going to be relegated to the back. Uh, for the rest of the part, essentially. And it's like, he's a kid. There's only so much Poco himself can do. But it's like, yeah, it, it kind of feels like we have to stop the episode. Just, like, we, we have to stop in the middle of the episode to be like, by the way, here's Poco's convictions. And here's, like, what he wants to, like, he, he's, like, he wants to be basically not be a wuss the entire time, like, his entire life. And then he does his thing. So it's like, it's a bit of the same issue as Zeppeli, except with Zeppeli, I think that it's a bit of a bigger issue because... He's meant to be this big, like, he's meant to have this big impact on Jonathan and then be a big part of his, like, this part of his journey. So the fact that I don't really think that his story amounts to all that much, I think is a bit more of an issue. Uh, But you're definitely right in the fact that, like, part one really just, all in all, just has really rushed pacing. Uh, I'm also, you know, in the past, I'm also just took this out on, like, the middle of the part. But now I'm kind of more, more so noticing, because again, like I said before, I did enjoy uh, episodes four to six uh, a lot more than I did previously. I'm kind of just realizing that instead of just the beginning and ending being good and the middle being meh, I'm kind of just realizing that the entire part has a lot of really good aspects, as well as a lot of real big bumps that they have to get through to kind of mm. realize what those good aspects are, essentially. And I think it, it's not just the setup and whatnot and like you mentioned that you don't think the manga or i i had someone mention to me that they didn't think the manga was uh as as much better paced than this but i think what works for me and what what settles it out for the manga is that everything is separated into chapters rather than episodes and when you're reading a manga everything like has its own build up and setup point and i felt like uh, while the first three episodes were translated well from the manga, with the Blueford and Tarkus fight, and even the Jack the Ripper stuff, you had an episode, not an episode, you had a chapter or two to take everything in, which is a lot different than an episode, in my opinion. It's kind of like the One Piece Naruto syndrome, where like some sometimes you have chapters that are entire episodes, where other times you have multiple chapters in an episode and it's like it's it's up to the creator to tell how much deserves to be an episode and i feel like 
they they really should have extended it. It's, you know? it's why a lot of uh, it's why a lot of exposition like type chapters will only like it'll it'll only be like one or two chapters per episode, and then when it's a fight, you just have a whole like like chunk of chapters where there's like three or four be adapted into the episode. Um, but speaking of the pacing, I just want to ask: Did I miss something, or? Like, because I because I noticed that while Jonathan was fighting uh, Blueford, like, Speedwagon and... Sorry, not Speedwagon, but Tarukas was just kind of standing there and not fighting uh, uh, Speedwagon and Zeppeli. Did they make a point of, like, keep it, uh, of Tarukas keeping an eye on them? Or was it, like, all handle no, these guys? No, no, it was specifically Blueford SDO to fight alone. That yeah, was yeah, no, the, no. The thing. Th that that part that part I know I know blue like yeah I, I remember like Blueford basically said I want to fight Jonathan alone but did Tarukas like not make a point of like I'm going to now fight uh, Speedwagon and Zeppeli or was he just like there to keep an eye on them to make sure they don't interfere? Yeah, he was just making sure they didn't interfere in the fight. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Because I was, I was going to be like... I know I know it's a lot. It's Like I said, this is why it's better in a chapter in a manga. Because mm -hmm. you can condense things to a point where the information is not so overwhelming. And that's what I feel is the failing of the anime adaptation from 4 to 6. And especially the final 3. But we're going to get to that. It's like the information is there. But we don't have time to fully process it. Because it's told in such a manner that is rushed. And that's, that's my complaint, is that, you know, Rosen said, oh, it's not rushed, it was the same as in the manga. That's not the issue, the issue is the pacing. Yeah, it's like, and also, like, the, it, it's the same as the manga, it's like, well, that then the manga is rushed as well. It's like, that's, you know, that, that's just how it is, you know? Um, I, yeah, I, I just, I just think that this, that part one, while it is good in many aspects, I just think that the pacing... And look, I can't speak to the manga because I haven't read it yet. Uh, I'm probably not going to be reading the manga until we reach part seven. But yeah, I, I just viewing what I'm viewing just on the screen. Yeah, part one just has a real big pacing issue that does hurt several story elements. You know, case in point, uh, being Zeppeli, you know, and we get more of his backstory in episode six. And uh, knowing what happens in episode seven, I'm pretty sure what i'm thinking of happens in episode seven gotta revisit the episode but um yeah we're we're in a i think we can talk a little bit more about zapelli in episode seven because a lot of his character isn't important until then aside of being a mentor figure yeah the thing about this set of episodes and a part of why i think it's not as memorable for past you and it's great but like a lot of this is battle a lot of this is battle shown mm -hmm. it's good battle shown in it's not great but like it just when you talk about character arcs, Jonathan grows as a character to be more kind, but it's more him training for the battle. Mm. Everything else is these characters getting ready to battle Dio at the battle against zombies. And it's great stuff, but if you break it down into these three episodes, there's no character arcs outside of Zapelli being introduced and setting up for his eventual death. Yeah. So. The spoiler alert for anyone who's uh, who's watching along with us. Um the, but to, to that end, I want to just quickly bring that up, because uh, like that, that's that's where I was kind of going with Zeppeli, was that we get more of his backstory in episode 6, 
uh, and we get like this uh, this drop that there, uh, his master had a prophecy that if he was to go down the route of learning Hamon, uh, then he was eventually going to die. And I don't really like that. It's like it's just uh, I I I don't know if I'd use the word lazy, but. It kind of just feels like a lazy way to be like, okay, well, we haven't really developed Zeppeli, so to kind of just add a hook to his character, let's be like, well, uh, there, was, there was a prophecy his master had that he was going to die if he used Hamon. So it's basically like, oh, okay, well, Zeppeli's going to die. Does Hamon give him the ability to prophecy? or like? And look, I like Ton Petty. Yes, it's Ton Petty and the Heartbreakers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we're going to see some more of them later. So Tom Petty is in this, but uh, like Tom Petty is an interesting character and i like the idea of zapelli's backstory being that his father was taken over by the mask and, and turned into a vampire and he has a history with the mask so like that's interesting but aside from that like when we start to get to the point where it's like i have a prophecy because of haman that you're gonna die and he goes in accepting that like it's an interesting idea of like what a person does when they know they're going to die but it just comes right the hell out of nowhere. And I yeah. feel like it really needed to be built up to. That's why I, I kind of see Zeppeli as like a, a cluster of tropes, ideas, and quirks. Because that's ultimately what he ends up being in the end. Like, you say like, we'll probably have more to say Zeppeli next episode. I honestly don't know if I will. Because that's kind of just my problem with Zeppeli. It's just a lot of, like, there's a lot put into his character for such a short amount of time that we just don't have like any room mm. to develop on any of those ideas and that's just ultimately there's what a lot do. of stuff there's not a lot of time i think what i mean more is that when when we actually get to the next episode we'll talk about tom petty and the heartbreakers uh dire and straight so yeah, and uh enough. you know actually introduce the the people that you know Zapelli went to and learned from and mm -hmm. and learn more about his backstory but like there really isn't much to his character he's fun I like him I like the way he jumps but the yeah. thing is as Rosen said last episode th this was developed by a guy who liked French fashion so like that's that's why they're all striking a pose it's just his art style so like that's not entirely thing um, I like his checkerboard hat, and apparently, like, he's a Mentos bar or something like that. But, like, you know, what is there to, to grab onto in this part? Like, I feel like the episode eight is my favorite, but once we get there, like, it's that's the peak, you know? Mm hmm. Yeah. Um,. That's basically most of my notes about the, uh, about this set of episodes. Uh, I again, I enjoyed my time. I, I mainly enjoyed uh, the fight with Blueford and Tarukas, mainly because I do like the that mirroring of like Jonathan and Dio that I see in the two of them, and especially that moment when you know Jonathan knows that the good in Blueford has come back, and so he doesn't move as he's like about to get slashed. That's a really good moment, and it just kind of shows, like, just the extent to which, jo like, how far Jonathan has come in, like, this part in just six episodes, no less. Um, and, like, and he may be too trusting, to be fair, but it's, like, I think, looking back on, like, the words that we have said about, like, Jonathan in the previous part, although we did have some nice things to say about him, you know, we've also just been like, oh, yeah, Jonathan's kind of an idiot, but the thing is, like, I think just boiling it down to he's an idiot is a little too harsh on him. Uh, I do remember uh, talking with Rosen about this, and it's like, he's not an idiot, he's just 
very trusting. And I think ultimately, that's a, that's a really good way of like putting Jonathan. And I do like that aspect of him now going through part one again. And like just seeing, you know, how like and also just knowing how like the future jojos are like you know even though i haven't seen parts two and onward i know like how each jojo is from this point onward you know like joseph is very like arrogant and boisterous um J jotaro is you know rude and you know just like i don't want to say cruel he's not cruel but you know he's very rude and like punk like uh jo um josuke is a high school etc etc but it's like <laughs> You know, you see Jonathan, and, you know, he's just this, like, bastion of good, and, like, you know, he's just this, you know, symbol of, you know, just go everything good that a man should, like, uh, you know, that mankind can strive to be, and I think for the classical, like, fable-like narrative that part one provides, it makes him the perfect protagonist for Phantom Blood, and I just really like him because of that. I think he's just such a good protagonist for this story and i think that that's highlighted really well in this set of episodes i think for the fantasy like story jonathan works perfectly i just feel like he doesn't have enough personality but i do like his kind heart his demeanor mm -hmm. um i just wish he had better stuff to go off of personally my favorite thing about episodes four to six is blueford and tarkas because while jack the ripper kind of keeps was brought up and then didn't do anything and then he shows up and then he's killed unceremoniously i feel like he was kind of wasted but like when you finally get down to it and dio shows up bluford and tarkas show rocky starting to actually develop his sub villains more and i really like what they were able to do with him even if the haman powers just kind of come out of their ass like the the hair and the and the fighting styles and stuff like that like that was good I just think part two does it so much better. Yeah. And we'll get to part two, like, the in the video after the next. Uh, you know, I'm hoping to have both uh, both episodes of part one done this month. Uh, you know, the usual schedule for all these is going to be uh, one video per month. But because we've, you know, had to delay a lot of videos, uh, this you know, this video has just, as a result... Uh, just taken a long time to come Phil, out. Phil, so just edit that. a video already. I have been editing a video. It just hasn't been for you. <laughs> You're fired. No, no, I don't think I am. Uh, in any case, uh, JoJo episode four to six, I think it's good, not great. It's a different style than than the first three episodes. Mm-hmm. And to some, I can definitely see why it would be lesser. But for me, it's just good shonen. Yeah. And and vampire, good vampire stuff, good shonen. They're different genres, but they're both good. So yeah, I like it. It's, despite being, you know, an anime that came out in, like, what, 2012? Uh, it is a very nice time capsule of, like, just what 80s manga was like. And, you know, I as a result, I think that it is uh, very enjoyable in that aspect. It's just... It also means we don't get a lot of character stuff, unfortunately, which is a shame. Uh, but this is an issue I know is rectified in part two and beyond. So I, I'm just at this point, while I am enjoying myself just revisiting part one, I think I am just finally ready to dive into part two and beyond. But yeah, what can you do? Yeah, part part two introduces some really interesting things, but we'll get to that. We haven't had a lot of time again. A Black Friday, I you know at my work, 
I won't get into where I work, uh, mostly because it, I want to kind of keep it separate, but things are getting pretty busy for Black Friday. In any case, uh, I'm looking forward to the end of part one and uh, the start of part two. Mm-hmm. Same. Uh, so with all that being said, uh, we will catch you guys in the next episode, which will be the finale of Phantom Blood. Uh, but until then, why don't we switch it back over to Rosen and the others? So have a good everyone. Yeah. Have a good one, um, everyone. I'm Zenith. This is Phil, and back to Rosen. And now that they've done that, uh, let's do favorite and least favorite moment. Who wants to go first? Uh, I, I guess I'll go. Uh, I, I was just a fan of Tarkus and Bluebird. Uh, both the, the dynamic, uh, their backstory, uh, the references that I got. Uh, I, I thought they were a ton of fun. And for least favorite? Least favorite. I need to think about Actually, it. Actually, yeah, we're going to do all favorite and all least favorite. Uh, I'll go next for favorite moment. It's either Jack bursting out of the horse or Jack turning into goo. For me, uh, I'd have to say Jack bursting out of the horse was definitely up there for me because that is such a memorable moment that it just, like I said, it's burnt in my brain. Uh, Coco. Any moment with Will Zeppeli just doing his thing. He's really fun. I like him. Fair enough. I will I will admit, though, him doing the tippity-tap, tippity-tap was up there. <laughs> So good. The, the hand motions are so good. It's like, I feel like someone needs to gif uh, him coming towards the camera with me when I fucking get you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that might be a, that might be a good edit for the for thumbnail. Uh, okay, least favorite moment. I'll go first. The fact that Speedwagon didn't form a polycule with Erna and Jonathan. Um, going off of that, yeah, like what, how I mentioned earlier, like how. I was I was hoping like how they had an opportunity to bring Erina into it and they just didn't really do anything. Uh, and I'm like, man. Off, I mean, kind of going off that too and, and the speed wagon thing. I hate that when there's always just a, a character that's purely there for comic relief that we're not gonna that we don't see anything coming, any, anything happening with them. So I hope they're gonna do something with Speedwagon eventually. I mean, that is a big one too for me uh, because. I felt like they could have done so much more with her, but for one, that physically got me to recoil and gave me physical pain. Just even looking at it, it has to be also the scene where um, Jonathan was getting his flesh ripped off of his uh, hand and his wrist. Fair enough. Uh, and now for the Bizarro meter. Um, or was this out of nine? I'd give it a, I'd give it a out of nine. Yeah. Because there's nine parts. Seven or an eight, I would say. Fair. Um, not the not the weirdest thing I've seen, but it definitely, it's definitely on an upward incline. Yeah. Um, like they're 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 getting they're getting very bold with some of the things they're doing. It's gonna be real um, funny when we're like three parts in. And you look back, it's like, why did I give that a seven? I mean, I know I know that like, this is probably pretty tame compared to what's following next, but like. But that's the beauty of hindsight. Yeah, and I also don't watch that much anime in the first place, so. Yeah, <laughs> uh. For the horse, the hair blade, and Iraqi's Mary Queen of Scots fanfic, this is getting a five out of nine. Yeah, but that, I was gonna put it about a six out of nine. That it's slightly above average, like slightly above the middle line for absurdity, but uh, hasn't gone quite over the edge yet. Fair enough. I say on a whole, the episodes probably be about 
as five and a half for me. But for just that one split second of Jack the Ripper grinning his fucking not, um, just grinning out and out of that horse. Yeah. That one moment gives me a seven. Fair enough. And yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, next episodes are the last three episodes of part one. Y'all excited? I'm very excited. I am very curious what's going to happen next. Well, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how they wrap it up very quickly. Yeah. And before we get into our discussion next time, we'll have Jay talk about what he thought of episodes four through six. But we'll be discussing episodes episode seven, Sorrowful Successor, episode eight, Bloody Battle, Jojo versus Dio, and episode nine, The Final Ripple. We'll see you next time. <laughs>